I'm Taffer. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. Um, This week we are continuing our Black Romance February. This is something we do every year in February to observe uh, both Black History Month and Valentine's Day at the same time. And we are talking about Excuse Me While I Ugly Cry by Joya Goffney. Um, A lot of people, a lot of you have asked us to review this book. We already wanted to, well, at least I already wanted to review this book. It's blurbed by Christina Forrest, who, you know, uh, I really, really like. I really like this one. I read it very quickly last weekend. I kind of like, uh, I kind of like binged it super fast. Fair. I, I was a little, I was like slightly slower getting into it and then read like a third, like the, the last third in like a couple of hours. Yesterday. Yeah, well, it, it definitely, so <clears throat> I find this one, it's definitely in the same vein as the Christina Forrest books in that it is a like cute formulaic YA romance, right? So it's interesting that you say that because I actually feel like this book um, like didn't didn't do what I was expecting it to do at several turns, which I found fun. Okay, cool. like I feel like it like there are ways in which it follows the romance formula, and there are ways in which it kind of like messes with them a little bit that I found enjoyable and refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think Christina Forrest's books do that as well a little bit. It's kind of this generation we're seeing of like taking the YA tropes and twisting them a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I say formulaic, I don't mean that it is like trite. Uh, but it is kind of the like, you know, uh, boy meets girl, you know where it's going from the beginning. Oh, yes. Uh, the twists and turns to get there surprise you. And there's some like really, really lovely B plots um, in this mm-hmm. book about like yeah. Quinn connecting with her family and Quinn like connecting with new friends who are better for her. But it's got that like comforting thing, you know, like yeah, when absolutely. you go to a romance book, you want from the beginning, you want that like that hint of where it's Mm -hmm. heading yes yeah and And it it has there's a fun little antagonists to lovers thing going on which we love oh man yeah i'm such a sucker for that and okay so the the general broad swipes of the story quinn uh she's high school girl she's graduating senior um she keeps a journal full of lists of of things that she would never admit on aloud and the journal goes missing and she starts being blackmailed by somebody anonymously with her lists. Anonymously is a word. <clears throat> it means anonymously. And she teams up with Carter, who is a guy in her class who she has kind of crushed on from afar but doesn't know super well. Uh, 
because he was the last one they had like a switcheroo with their journals so he was the last Mm -hmm. one to have it so she teams up with him to find it which turns into teaming up with him to kind of go check things off her bucket list that in and of itself Mm -hmm. is such a trope like the the going through a list of Mm -hmm. things um and there's like definitely echoes of all the boys i've loved before with the like missing documents that are embarrassing but frankly, yeah. I'm here for it. Like, it embraces that. And mm-hmm. I th- I think that trope is something that touches on us all very powerfully, right? Like, yeah. the idea of having your embarrassing secrets bared is very compelling for us all. And this, like, teaming up with someone you have a crush on to, like, do the things that you need to do that you're scared of is, like, such a, like sweet thought of like vulnerability and bonding oh, and man, like hijinks yeah. that it's just it's great i i love yes that that combination exactly as you said of vulnerability and hijinks is just that is it <laughs> i think that's really like like what made this book for me um because i feel mm-hmm. like the emotional vulnerability between Carter and Quinn got started very early on. Yeah. And a lot of the time in romances, we see that develop slowly, or we see them like talk a lot about some things, but never the important things. And I feel like in many ways, Mm -hmm. they got to the important stuff pretty quickly. Um, Of course, there's the whole thing about like imbalance and who's sharing more that they deal with later in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did feel like it was a very like honest, open emotionally sensitive relationship from the beginning yeah um and a lot of that is is because carter is just a sweetheart oh my god yes is just like a very good boy he's a well he's a sweetheart and he's a very good boy and he's also just like remarkably circumspect and responsible and like really good at boundaries yeah. Which is not something we often see in the YA love interest from the beginning, right? Like, True. usually the friction we see in YA romances, or really like most romances, frankly, <laughs> comes from people not having good boundaries or good communication. Yeah. And like Quinn has that, to be fair. <laughs> Um, yes but Carter has very good boundaries and Carter has very good communication from the beginning of the Mm -hmm. book and the thing that I really I'm gonna say the thing that I really like about this book a lot of times I think today Um, (laughs) but I really really liked how a lot of this story is about Quinn finding a new and better crowd for her and how much like actually healthy friendships can influence you yeah to be like overall a better person primarily for yourself and like this is something we keep talking Mm -hmm. about like we talked about this in Felix Ever After as well but like absolutely loving these YA romances that are primarily about self-love yeah I was I was gonna say the same thing of like this this feels like another one in the vein of Felix Ever After where it is like it is it is very strongly like a love story but it's also very much yeah like a a self-love story and a, a friendship love story. Yeah. And I mean, friendship feeding self-love, which is such an important point yeah. that the the friends we surround ourselves with impact the way we see ourselves. And Quinn surrounding herself with friends who like understand her better. So like, okay, uh, uh, big thing, like Quinn is black, right? We are doing black romance mm-hmm. uh, February. 
Um, and all her friends are white at the beginning of the book. And mm-hmm. she finds, a, a, like, through Carter, she makes a friend group of black friends, which is something she's never really had before. And I think it's, like, a really, it's really nice to see her being empowered to love herself just by being around people who are like her. Yeah. Uh, which is something, like, like obviously we can we see this with people in queer finding queer community too like it's just mm-hmm. it's really hard to love yourself if you're always surrounded by people who are different from you mm-hmm. well i mean no in quinn's case i gotta correct that because in quinn's case it's that her friends are racist and uh when you are black and have racist friends it is not good for you yeah <laughs> i feel i felt like i was maybe being a little too delicate about that that is the issue the issue is that her white friends are all racist well and, and the, the book very clearly delineates that because yeah, one of the yeah. one of the new friends she makes is not black yes yeah um, exactly but he is not racist yes exactly yeah 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 um, um yeah and I, I really liked the gradual unveiling of the antagonist as well, or antagonists, yeah. because like so much of this book is around things Quinn has not said. And some of those things we know from the beginning, from her notebook. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, we know that big plot point, uh, she did not get accepted to Columbia and she totally lied to her parents and said she did, including faking an acceptance letter. We know that she is in love with her best friend, Matt, and hasn't told him. Uh, Mm -hmm. We know that she has a crush on Carter that she kind of denies and kind of admits to. Yeah. But she's also recently had a friend break up. And all we know about that is what people are gossiping about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we find out what actually happened there much later in the book. And it's really, really significant as a plot point. Yeah. I just love seeing, like, I loved seeing Quinn lose her excuses for defending uh what are what are their names again destiny and uh gia yeah i just loved her like it's like this process that i feel like we all go through but usually later than high school where you like look at the friends you have and you're like oh but i have to defend them and protect them because they're my friends and then the more you look at it the more you're like well (laughs) like do i really have to defend them are they really my friends? Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing Quinn kind of go through that because she is making these good, solid, healthy friendships and realizing that her previous friendships were not that was really, really, really nice. And I also feel like that's a process that most people go through later in life. And it was really nice to see it modeled in a teenager. Yeah. And and to sort of add to that, like also this process of realizing that you don't have to hang out with people you don't like just because yes. you don't have better options. Oh, my God. Even like, if they're not racist, you, you just don't have to hang out with people you don't like. <laughs> yeah. Like we get the impression that like Quinn and Destiny did have actually like, you know, a a friendship that was flawed because Destiny had a lot of racism that she needed to actually deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they did have like an actual like, good friendship. But you get you get the impression that Quinn never liked Gia. And it was just like, well, she's also here and I guess I have to put up with her and she's pretty shitty. Yeah. But I just this is sort of my life. <laughs> and that that actually like kind of pings something interesting for me because we see I hadn't like 
made this connection before, but we actually see the like your friends influencing who you are working both ways in this book. Because we see Destiny being influenced by Gia to go from being like Quinn's friend to being like really horrible to Quinn. Yeah. Through Gia's influence. Yeah, so do we, what do we want to focus in on? Because there's, there's, there's so much there's good so many stuff things. in this book. Um, I mean, I, I want to talk more about Carter, but we've kind of established Carter a little bit, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Really briefly, I kind of liked how there was the, like, I've been in love with my best friend, Matt, forever. And then, like, she just starts forgetting to hang out with Matt. Like, yeah. Like, I loved seeing that. I fully expected there to be some kind of, like, relationship thing with Matt or, like, something Love that triangle. fizzled or something and it really was just that as soon as she started hanging out with carter she just kind of forgot about matt um and i love that like that's just so real that's so relatable that's yeah. like yeah that happens especially in high school that happens um it's like i put my attraction on this person because they are there and then when I am removed from that, it's like, oh, I didn't, there wasn't actually any reason that I liked you. Yeah, I mean, crushes of convenience are a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you are young. Like, you can have a crush on someone just because they happen to be there. Because this is a book that's primarily about self-love and self-knowledge, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Hattie. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And through Hattie about Quinn's parents. Mm, yes. So Hattie is Quinn's grandmother. Um, She is just the coolest, raddest woman alive. Uh, (laughs) Was very, very involved in Quinn's life. And Mm -hmm. um, one of the kind of storylines that we get slowly unfolded is that Hattie uh, has Alzheimer's and has been in a home for a year. And Quinn has not been able to bring herself to go visit her. And, oh, man, there's so many things to love about Hattie. uh, But I really, really appreciated that Hattie is a landowner, like a woman who has acreage and a house and knows her land really well and gardens and fishes and, like, drives around on her four-wheeler. I really, really liked that. I really liked having Quinn's roots be like real roots (laughs) that like the reason that she has so much trouble visiting Hattie in the home is that Hattie is such a part of her land and um, Mm. such a part of this this place and home. And I love that, you know, for story reasons, obviously, I also just think it's a really important visibility for parts of black culture uh, where people, you know, have been on the land for generations and I liked seeing that represented. Yeah, the Hattie storyline is really like beautiful and you get the sense that like part of like maybe like part of why like Finn is in this place where she's like having a lot of like trouble is that she's sort of like lost this anchor that was her relationship with Hattie and like how her relationship with Hattie allowed her to like see herself and and you get to see her sort of gradually like reclaiming like that sort of like sense of self yeah um which is really beautiful yeah this part of the book also like made me super emotional because i like lost my grandmother to alzheimer's and it was like big feelings yeah Uh, but it's very well written about that experience yeah i love this connection between knowing yourself and knowing your history 
knowing yourself and knowing your ancestry. I love that Quinn has her grandmother and her parents present in her life and she has that generational um, love just very, very active and present in her life. I I love the part where like there's at the end she kind of has a flashback of like Hattie like telling her the things that she got from her um, and sort of just this like Quinn is always saying like she loves Hattie so much. Hattie is the strongest woman she knows like she has so much admiration and so much pride and so much love for Hattie. And by reconnecting with her, she's able to remember and access the things about herself that are like Hattie. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really just like one of the uh, treasures of knowing your family, knowing your ancestors, knowing your genealogy um, and being able to say like, oh, yeah, that is my butt. <laughs> like this mm-hmm. butt that I always feel shy about that came from my grandma um, who I love and admire and think is beautiful yeah well it's the yes, idea like there's this classic reversal that like therapists and other people who are trying to get us to be kinder to ourselves will do where it's like would you say that to like someone who loves you or whatever oh my like, God, trying to, like <laughs> say, but it's it's this whole nother level when when you can actually like see that the qualities you have are the same as the qualities, like come from the qualities that you love in these people who are in your family. Yeah. Um, And that's, yeah, it's a really cool, like thing that we really see play out here. Yeah. Yeah. And Hattie's illness, it's, it's the biggest lie Quinn is telling herself, right? Like, Quinn is telling herself the lie that by not going to see Hattie in the home, she can prevent all of this from happening. Yeah. She is telling herself the lie that, like, if she just pretends Hattie is not sick and is not in the home, then she's still living in her house on her land in those memories, and that is still how she exists. And that kind of all falls apart for her when she finds out that the land was sold. That's the catalyst for her. Yeah. Because she learns that you know things do move on and she she can't help it um she can't stop it and that sort of reframes everything for her and gives her like lets her find the courage to go see Hattie and then you know it's not nearly as bad as she expected it to be (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it turns out she's in a position where she can really care for Hattie the way Hattie has cared for her for so long um it's just really, really, really a beautiful storyline. Absolutely. Do we do we want to talk about her parents a little bit? Yeah, I think we should. Because there's there's some very interesting, like it's it's a very complex, like interesting family dynamic, and I yeah. think it's explored in interesting ways. Yeah. So she's an only child. She has two very high performing parents. Her dad is a surgeon, I believe, definitely a doctor. That sounds right, yeah. And uh, and her mom is a lawyer. Um, they're both very busy. They have a lot of tension between the two of them. They fight a lot. Quinn kind of has this assumption that as soon as she leaves for college, they're going to get divorced. But I really like how the way their storyline develops is actually just like when Quinn starts to tell them the things that are bothering her, they adjust and they course correct. Yeah. And like... 
I think it's a really beautiful example of how children can help parents see what they need to fix in themselves. Um, Because like once you kind of get the whole story, you kind of get why Quinn's dad is in a really like stressed, tense place, right? Like his mother is dying (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he has a very high power, stressful job and his only daughter is going to college like very far from home Um, Mm -hmm. and he's under a lot of stress. And we kind of get that story unfolding very gradually. Uh, but it starts with Quinn just being like, yeah, my dad is like never home. And when he is, mom and dad fight. Yeah. And and I like, too, that like, yeah, we get, we get this dysfunction, but it is dysfunction that when communication is introduced mm. actually starts to resolve. And I think that's really lovely because I think like from the way this book starts, the parents could have gone a couple of different ways. Absolutely. And I like that we get the storyline where, um, like, when Quinn learns to sort of stop lying to herself and start actually opening up and addressing some of these big problems, that things actually do sort of start to move towards better. Mm-hmm. I particularly think it's really beautiful that Quinn's mom is actually involved in the resolution of the like bullying and harassment. Oh my god, like, a yes! Big part of um, and particularly because we we get this sort of flip in that moment from the parents kind of being the antagonists to being allies. Honestly, like that scene made me want to become a lawyer so that I can scare people on my kids' behalf. <laughs> that scene was so, so good. She finds out about the situation. She finds out the school hasn't done anything. She gets into her lawyer clothes. She goes to the principal's office. And then she's just like, well, I'm not here as a lawyer, actually. I'm here in my capacity as a parent. But, you know, as a lawyer, you really should consider the um, the legal ramifications that could happen if, for example, a parent decided to sue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's extremely good. And I yeah. love that we also, so... We haven't talked much about Olivia, but I adore Olivia. Oh, my God. Um, Olivia is a new friend that Quinn makes throughout the course of the book. Um, and they become very close. And importantly, so so the book centers around this sort of kind of smear campaign cyberbullying that's going on against Quinn. There had been earlier in the year um, some pretty intense bullying uh, that happened against Olivia that Quinn was actually sort of accessory to yeah um and we also get to see like some justice for olivia happen as well in the resolution which is really wonderful yeah absolutely um i also really love that uh with quinn's father so kind of the the initial tension with quinn's father that starts from the very beginning of the book is carter is over doing a school project with a group quinn does not have very many black friends and has not often had um, black guys over at the house and her dad, who is also black, uh, sees him and immediately asks, like, what are you doing in my house? Sees him alone. He doesn't see him with the group. Um, And Carter, understandably, gets really offended by this and, like, talks to Quinn about it. And finally, Quinn talks to her dad about it, like, much later in the book. 
And what I really loved about that is that instead of her dad getting defensive or saying, like, I didn't do that or anything, he really listens. And he gets very introspective and he, like works through what happened with her and talks through what happened and like acknowledges where he was wrong and where that wrongness might have come from and apologizes really really well um Mm -hmm. and again like i mean in so many ways this book is about emotional maturity (laughs) and emotional intelligence but that's another one of the ways that i feel like the tropes in this book are just kind of just kind of massaged a little just kind of said eh what if we didn't? What if we did this a different way? What if people kept growing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. And I mean, we also see that with like, she at one point tells her parents she's worried they're going to get divorced when she goes to college. And the next time they talk, they say, you know what? Uh, we found a marriage therapist to like talk about things because it's true. We're stressed and we're not talking as much as we should be. Um, and just that yeah. constant course correction is really, really, really nice to see. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is not a Where Are the Parents book. No, it is not. Yeah. We see a lot of really, yeah, involved, loving parental figures in various ways, and it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, another thing, so this is sort of skipping back, but one of one of the things that I love, we've been talking about how this is sort of like a journey like towards self-acceptance yeah. and self-discovery, and one of the things that I really like about it is that Quinn wouldn't necessarily like frame it this way like the main the sort of like the the plot thing that drives Finn really to start this this journey of going through her list that she wrote but never intended to do is is this bullying campaign of course yeah but but I like that even this sort of like indirectly obviously it wasn't intentional the whole thing does get set off by Finn uh, not <laughs> Quinn. Um, <laughs> Finn is your partner. Point. <laughs> you can just <laughs> correct that by Quinn. I think you actually did that earlier in the episode. <laughs> oh no! I don't interact with enough people. It's funny. Okay. Anyway, uh, Quinn. <laughs> by Quinn, sort of deciding that she is not going to keep putting up with. Uh, stuff that she's been putting up with for yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're not going to spoil it, but like, I like that the initial friendship break, because we get a lot of YA books that like start right after a friendship yeah. has broken up. And that is often a situation in which the main character didn't have agency, yeah. is how this is often set up. And so I really, really like that this one starts with a friendship break that the main character initiated because she decided to not keep putting up with shit. Yeah. And I like that that's where this story starts. Yes. Um, That is a great point. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing, like with her finding the ability to like articulate more of what she won't put up with is finding friends. I mean, I've said this before, but like friends who really like her. Like, she finds a group of friends who really, really like her for who she is and who she does not have to edit herself around. Um, And she doesn't Mm -hmm. have to write lists of things she won't say because she can actually talk about things with her friends. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, something I've noticed. Like, I don't know. I journal a lot less when I am happy. (laughs) and, and supported. Like, you know, there's just less to say. Um, Mm -hmm. I also love, there's, um, it's not a major 
plot point, it happens very kind of subtly and a little bit in the background. I would say not. I would say in the middle ground, in the middle ground mm-hmm. of the story, uh, is Quinn um, loving her body. Yeah, and this point. It's not made a huge deal of. We don't really know a whole lot about what her body looks like, except that she feels like there is too much of it. The way the story progresses, there's just all these little, little moments, little notes throughout where she loves it a little more and loves it a little more and loves it a little more. And that is a really nice part of the self-love journey that I thought. Like, I feel like it's a really, like, holistic self-love journey. (laughs) yeah and very like subtle subtly done too yeah which is nice uh also just this is just a funny thing i like that the like part of this journey towards her embracing her body and liking her body more is punctuated at the end of the book by several instances of uh her father trying to get her to change oh my goodness yes that was so (laughs) you are not leaving the house the funniest one is the end when she comes in her father says go change her mother goes like lay off and he goes you haven't looked at them and she looks at them and goes like oh yeah no go change and then they do the classic teenager thing of putting on a sweater and taking it off yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. which honestly Uh, you know what my daughter she is eight years old she did that to me this week (laughs) she was wearing leggings with a big old hole in them and i was like no don't go to school with leggings with a hole in them and I found her some other pants. And she was like, oh, can I wear these over the leggings? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> she comes home just wearing the leggings. I was like, oh, my goodness. How are you old enough? I didn't think you were old enough for this. And I was just like, you know, I, I used to also do that, right? Like, Yeah. And I liked that scene as well because it shows her parents who have been kind of bickering and fighting, like agreeing on something. Like, I know it's a little point, but it's like a point where they like, they slide into their old kind of conflict pattern and then resolve it uh, in a really just kind of light, subtle way. That's like a really nice note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. And we find out about their history, which is really nice. And we haven't Mm -hmm. even, we haven't even touched on, um... Like, Quinn has a lot of shame around the fact that she didn't get into Columbia. Quinn's parents are both super high performing and Quinn is not really a school person. She really struggles and has not felt able to, like, admit that and accept it and find alternative Mm -hmm. paths. Not that where she ends up is, like, an alternative path, really. But, like, (laughs) she has all this shame around the fact that she isn't as good at school as her parents are. And Mm -hmm. she learns how to give herself a little more grace and be a little more creative and have more options and be more honest about what she wants. And and that's really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. And be, like, particularly the, like, accepting that for herself, too. And because we get the feeling that she has sort of internalized this dream of her parents of going yeah. to Columbia and that's what she would want. And I really like that towards the end of the book, we get this sort of reflection from her of like, I wouldn't have actually enjoyed going to Columbia. Exactly. It would have been too big and too busy and too much pressure. And like, actually like this, this smaller school that I did get more into is like much more my speed. Um, and I like that. Yeah, well, she never really wanted to move to New York either, but her parents went to Columbia and met at Columbia, and so she feels this kind of legacy pressure. I also just want to take a moment to say, because I work in higher education in Canada, but went to high school and applied to school from the States, that the American university system is 
so fucked. There is no reason that the application process should be this rigorous. There is no reason that it should be this stressful. It is not a fucking job. They are applying to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, it's ridiculous and it should be less ridiculous. <laughs> Fair. I Between this and I was watching like an old episode of Buffy the other day, I keep having to Google like, what is a good ACT score? What is a good SAT score? Oh I know what none of these things And mean. all these standardized tests are racist, which is like the other part on this, right? Mm, of course uh, they are. But it is like applying for college is like a full-time job. Like in high school in the States, in your senior year, you have like a class that is just about applying to colleges. That does not make any you, sense. Because in addition, like here to get into the schools, you have to have a grade cutoff, right? You have to have a certain GPA. If you're if you're applying from Canada, if you're applying internationally, it's a little bit different. But you have to have a certain GPA. There's some test scores, maybe. Do you take mm. SATs? Are they optional? I think it depends. Okay. For I mean, I was like applying regular, from the states, so for just a regular undergrad, there's no like standardized test scores that factor. Yeah. It's in. really just your GPA. It's like, did you did you do okay in high school? Yeah. If you're applying to a specialized program, like I don't I don't think I even have to write an essay for like You don't no, stuff. you don't have to write an essay. That's the thing. If you're applying to a specialized program, like there was actually a like getting into sort of getting into university course at my high school. Yeah. Um but it was the like visual arts portfolio exactly. course. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you're going to, to an art school, school, you need a portfolio. But yeah, like if you're just doing a general like liberal arts out of high school or science yeah there's a cutoff for your grades and if you are above that cutoff you will get in yeah and that's it so I was applying I applied to McGill as a Canadian student living in the states it was like kind of a mess and I remember like I had applied to all the American schools and then I applied to a few Canadian schools the application fees were nuts they were so much more expensive but um Actually, I think I got waivers for the American schools. Canadian school, it was like, yeah, you can send your SATs if you feel like it. <laughs> what are your grades? Cool. Yeah. American schools, you have to write an essay and you have to write a different essay for each school because you want to tweak it a little bit and you have to do your standardized tests. And there were people who like took their standardized tests and then weren't happy with their grades. So they got tutoring and then took it again. I knew people who took it like three times and you have to pay every time you take it um, and you have to have your APs. And still, even if you have the highest grades, the highest test scores, all of the AP classes, they might just be like, nah, we're just, we're just not feeling it, you know? Um, and it is, it is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous system. And I just want everybody to know that it is only in the U.S. that it is this ridiculous, as far as I know. In other places, yeah, you, 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 you really can just, like, if you passed high school, you can probably go to college somewhere. Yeah. If you want I'm to. I'm so glad <laughs> I went to higher ed in Canada. Yeah. I mean, I even like I still got into one of those schools that I applied to um, and didn't go because of the expense, which I know everybody already knows. So I don't really need to be saying this, but um, I just I feel for everybody applying to American schools. Like there's a lot of reasons to do it. And like there's a lot of really good schools. And yeah, I just it makes me really sad that we put teenagers through this this process when it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Like, just make your GBI cutoff really high. 
Yeah. Or just like fundamentally restructure the way that we think about education and who earns it and honestly burn the system to the ground. Honestly, being a parent right now, I'm just like, I don't like when I talk to my daughter, I'm like, she'll be going to college in like 10 years. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you'll be going to college. I don't know if college will like, like, I mean, I think college will still be a thing. I don't think universities are going to disappear. But I Mm -hmm. kind of feel like college being the thing that you do has kind of peaked with our generation. (laughs) And I'm just really curious to see, like, what happens with her generation. I think it's going to be better. Hopefully. I do. I I mean, especially like in Quebec where we have CEGEP programs, right? But like, which are like Mm -hmm. a um, in-between college, high school and college thing. But you can also do like professional degrees or like a pre-law degree that you can then just apply to law school with or whatever mm-hmm. yeah it's a cool system and it's they're cool very system. affordable oh yeah they're um, like a tenth of the price of university which is like a tenth of the price of university in the states it's like yeah. the way i usually say it is it's like if community college was something everybody did after high school yeah because that's another thing in the states is if you don't get into any universities you can do like two years of community college and then transfer because nobody wants to graduate from community college <laughs> Wow, okay. Well, that's how I feel about that. This is just how I feel every time I read a college book. Fair. It's interesting. It's it's fun to discuss this with you who actually has the the experience of applying mm. schools in the I mean, States. I because I'm to, just Yeah, I was applying to Ivy Leagues. I didn't get into any Ivy Leagues. But I was applying to <laughs> Ivy Leagues. <laughs> only from my school, only people with legacy got into Ivy Leagues, I'm pretty sure. But only people with what? Uh legacy. So legacy means Oh yes direct family members went and legacy usually means like that's the other thing is they could just stop doing that um that's so fucked up because i feel like that's really a thing here it doesn't is the have other thing with having a, a gpa it doesn't have off. to be a thing like because if you want to go to call like the gpa cutoff is not that high <laughs> like i know for like yeah. mcgill concordia maybe queens it's like a little higher than some of the other schools but like mm-hmm. it's really just I don't know. If your parents went to, say, McGill and really, really want you to go to McGill, they will be able to help you keep your GPA where it needs to be. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that's Excuse Me While I Ugly Cry by Joya Goffney. Um, it's a really good book, and I liked it. I thought, I think this would be a really great one for if you just want a romance to, to like, plow through and feel good about, but also, like... Um, we didn't touch too much on the like stuff around blackness in this book because neither of us are black uh but like it's a really big part of Quinn's story is loving herself as a black woman and and loving who she is in that context um loving who she is and being around people who love her for who she is and don't make her feel othered uh and it's really powerful it's really really beautiful yeah um yeah it's very good and it's set in texas which like again is not a place i know anything about because i have never been there um but i have a feeling like it feels very texas it feels very like planted in texas and i have a feeling that for people who know texas this would be a fun read yeah it it does seem like that because there's a lot of different like exploring of different places and countryside and And, i mean joya goffney grew up in a small town in east texas um Mm -hmm. and went to school at u of t in austin uh and lives in austin so like yeah that makes sense (laughs) um 
but that that was fun it felt like for me being somebody who has never been to texas it felt like a fun little like tour it is always fun when a book clearly like loves the place that it's set and just like wants yeah. to show it to you yeah uh, and it's, it's, and i i but... loved the that it was not just urban texas which we do see a fair bit in books there's also like rural texas but i like that it was both Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah. just rural Texas. It wasn't just urban Texas. It wasn't just one city in Texas. It was like really kind of an exploration of all the different like micro cultures. And that was cool. I want, mm-hmm. I like books. You know, sometimes you read YA and you can't really tell where it is. I like books. <laughs> this is a news flash for all our, our readers. Um, Did you know that Tepper likes books? No. I also like books, for the record, in case anyone was unclear. But um, I like when books have a real sense of place. I think I've said Mm -hmm. this before. Sometimes you read YA and it's based in, like, for a while it was sort of like nebulous Midwest. For a while it was sort of like nebulously North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we've been generic seeing, New York. Generic New is, York is a one too. or a generic upstate New York. Uh, yeah. Fair bit of generic California, maybe. And for a while there, there were a whole bunch of Pacific Northwest ones, um, mm. like uh, which I think just probably comes out of each author's experience. But I really like it when a book is like really set where it's set. Yeah. And the setting plays a role in the story. Like, that is something that, that for me, is just like, mmm, delicious. It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good. It's a very good book. And there's just, there's a very sweet romance. There's very good friendships, heartfelt family stuff. It's just a good book. You should read it. You, specifically. Everybody who's listening and to this like, podcast right now. Yeah, it's like, it's very also just like, I feel like this is one that's like real, real accessible for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But also like complex and has a lot going on. Exactly. Yeah. Well, teenagers have a lot going on. If there's one thing yes. I remember about being a teenager. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, you can send us an email at theyappodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yappodcast, and individually, I'm at thebalesosaurus, and Pepper is at pepperbear. If you like the show, which, I mean, I hope you do, because you listened all the way to the end. Uh, if you hate listening to this, that's kind of weird. Um, but I guess if you are hate listening and you want to help us make it better, uh, you can consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Erica Stitchberry, Megan Jane, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. If you want us to have more merch, you should, 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 I can't talk. You should suggest uh, things that you would like to see on t-shirts and stuff, and maybe we will make it happen. I think we have a few designs that have been kicking around for like three years. We do. (laughs) We need, we slash I need to get on that. Well, no, (laughs) I mean, we slash I need a little more capacity. So support us on Patreon, folks. Patreon! (laughs) Um, You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. If you listen regularly and you have not yet let us, left, left, you have left, left, uh, this. 
If you listen to us regularly and you have not yet let... (laughs) Yeah, podcast! The show where Tepper and Bailey gradually forget how to talk. I'm really hoping Tom edits this. Um, If you're a regular listener and you have not yet left us a rating and review on whatever app you use, please do that. Please just do that right now. Um, Especially if you can leave like a couple of sentences about why you like the show. It really, really helps us. Ratings and reviews help us get the word out there, boosts our ratings, and it makes more people see us. So if you like this show, if you want more people who love YA Lit to see this show, um, please just go go smack that five-star rating and, uh, and maybe leave us a little review. Be like, I love how Tepper uh, forgets how to talk a dozen times during every episode. Um, you can also subscribe on Spotify. Um we're still on Spotify. Like, we're going to continue to be on Spotify because we get listens there. But I just want to put it out there that I'm real mad that Spotify has $100 million to give Joe Rogan and doesn't give me any. <laughs> um, And also, Truly. like, if you're just finding out now that Joe Rogan is a piece of shit, like, where have you been? Um, And you can also share this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who needs to know that Joe Rogan is a piece of shit. Or even a friend who would like to learn about a book that is lovely and <laughs> explores friendship and self-discovery. Thank you, Bailey. cute romance. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Group, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tevra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye! I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of the No Bad Food Podcast, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or right here on the Upford Network. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome to to the Gay and Grey Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 